Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, what's up, everybody? Y'all good today? Can we give praise to the one and only King? Just give him, I mean, that worship just, come on, just give him your best for a second. He is King right now. Come on, he's not going to be king tomorrow. He is king now. He is king yesterday, and he is king forever. Jesus, we give you praise as king. Lord, we don't have to make you king. You were born king. We thank you that you were born king of kings and lord of lords. You came in a manger. You came into a place where others had disregarded or disrespected. You came to let us know that holy things can inhabit unholy places. We thank you, Lord, for taking up residence in our life. Even though we were with sin, you died. And you gave us your life. Thank you that you are the king of our life right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Man, he is king. I'm pumped up today. I don't know. I might preach for an hour today. Who knows what's going to happen. It's about to, man, it's about, I just feel revival in our church. I, I was out of town last week. I just, there's no place I'd rather be than here preaching the gospel to you guys and uh, missed you so much. Got to get away with my lovely wife. Would you give my wife just a, some love real quick? Love you, baby. She is amazing. Uh, 20 years, going on 21 years. She, we had, her birthday's coming up at the end of this month. And uh, she, listen, we got a lot going on. She goes, you know what? And she said the date, it was a day the end of this month. It's her birthday. She goes, you know what that day is? I was like, Jude's football game? Our anniversary? Your birthday! I was like, it took me. She's like, it took you three tries. I always just had a lot going on, guys. Okay, I'm a little ADD. And so... She, you guys need to celebrate her like crazy into this month, September the 24th. Babe, I know your birthday, and uh, I, I wasn't in that mind frame, so I'm repenting publicly right here. And uh, we're going to celebrate as a church on the 24th. We're gonna, I got a lot to preach to you today. I got chapters 11 uh, through 13 of the book of Hebrews. We're going to finish this book uh, today, and then next week, you don't want to miss, we're starting a Fire Away series. You guys have sent in questions, challenging, hard questions for me. I'm questioning my salvation. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm going back to Bible school. Like, I'm studying. I'm in, I'm in all kinds of you know, the, theologians. You know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm figuring, I'm, you're, it's going to be good. I'm going to answer some tough questions. And uh, you guys have had some awesome questions. Don't miss that. And then, like she said, if you a man, come on, look at somebody and say, if you a man, be here tonight. 630, it's going to be amazing. Uh, anchored is, we've been looking at really Jesus being better. Last week we looked at the longest section of Hebrews 7 through 10, chapter 7, or two weeks ago, chapter 7 through 10, and we looked at Jesus being better. Paul said Jesus is better five times. He did that in order for you and I to get our affections turned towards Jesus because we choose what we like. And so, so we want to like Jesus. We want to choose Jesus. He's better than any other system, any other religion, any other, no, no, no rule or regulation or law that you can keep. He's better than all that. The, the Hebrew Christians, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you today, and it's important for you to know the context. The Hebrew Christians were about to give up on their faith. They were about to walk away. They had come to Christ, and their families had disowned them. They had come to Christ, and their goods had been plundered. Society was taking their goods. They, they were losing their jobs. They were losing their, their money. They, they were actually ostracized from family. They couldn't get jobs. They, they, they were being put in prison, and Paul's writing to a group of Christians that have come to know Christ and are tempted to turn back to an old, easy way of life. They're tempted to go, you know what, it isn't worth it, let's just go back to being Jews. Let's just go back to following this system. 
Let's just go back to something else. It's too much. We can't handle it. And so Paul is instructing them that Jesus is better, that there's a promise that we can hang on. And so, so chapters 11 through 13 are really all about the framework of faith. And, and so, so they're really fighting some real battles. And sometimes we try to fight through, but really we've got a faith through. And so Paul is telling them how to faith through. And I'm gonna, I've got so much to give you and not a lot of time to preach it. So I'm going to just kind of run through. I'm going to give you some chunks of Scripture. If you're taking notes, man, take them good. Take them fast. Uh, you know, but I'm, I'm going to give you chunks of Scripture. And then I'm going to paraphrase some stuff. Uh, but you're going to have to keep up with me today. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. We're going to go all the way through chapter 13. And we're going to look at just what faith is. And as we battle, come on, I think we're in the same types of battles right now. And, and I've told you a couple weeks ago, the church in America has enjoyed 70 years of peace and prosperity. I don't think it's going to be the same in the next 70 years. I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm a faith guy, and I'm going to talk to you about faith, but I want to prepare you as your pastor. I want to get some strength in you for what we're probably going to face as believers in the next few years, in the next 20 years. I don't, it's, going to, it's going to be intense. We have run 70 years. No other nation has run with peace in church for 70-plus years like we have. And I don't know if it's going to be the same for years to come, but that doesn't change our faith, right? This is what it says in Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He's talking to people that are losing everything. The evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made from things which are visible. The title for today is simple, The Framework of faith. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, thank you for your, your, your gift of faith. Thank you that you give us faith. That we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in you. But we thank you that you instill faith in us, and we ask you to strengthen our faith today so we can hear you and, and serve you and stand strong in every hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my daughter, she's 14. We used to go on dates a lot. I still try to take her out on dates, but being 14, she doesn't want to date dad as much anymore. And so when she was younger, we would have dates and we would go to Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donut dates. And so on Mondays, I'd say, hey, you want to have a Dunkin' Donut date on Saturday? And she's like, that's going to be amazing. And so by, by Tuesday, she's like, when are we going? I'm like, baby, it's going to be Saturday. You know, but daddy, you said we're going to have a date. When are we going? And, and so all week long, the time frame in her mind wasn't so clear as how long it would take to get to Saturday when she was younger. So right the next day the next hour we going to Dunkin Donuts daddy we going to Dunkin Donuts daddy you said she's telling everybody daddy we going I'm going to Dunkin Donuts with daddy we're getting donuts with daddy and it's just and and from the time that I promised that we're going to get donuts from the time that that we actually go on the date there's a lot of life that happens in between there are ups and downs, there are scrapes and boo-boos, there are, there are blessings and spankings, there are, there are events and school and nap time and bedtime and attitudes and love and hugs. There's so much life that takes place from the time I promised to the time it actually happened. And what the author is trying to teach us with the framework of faith is that God is good and he's promised some things, but there's a lot of times that takes place between the fulfillment of the promise sometimes and the actual promise. And that we have to understand that God relates to us in the same manner and have a framework that Jesus is going to make good on his promises. That Jesus said it, that daddy you promised, that Jesus you said we got a date, you said you're coming back, you said we are conquerors, you said we can make it through, you said we can do all things you promised. God has always desired for his people to live believing that God would be good to his word and that he would be trustworthy. And so we need a, a framework of faith. I'm just going to give you some simple thoughts about faith down through this chapter. 
Faith, it says now faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is always looking ahead to a future reality that you can't see. The first thought is this, live trusting God for things that you don't see. Begin to start living trusting God for stuff that you don't see. Faith comes by hearing, right? Let me just say this, sight is the enemy of faith. God uses your ears, Satan uses your eyes. And so what we've learned, if anything, in the last year and a half is that our faith is more in circumstances than Jesus. We've learned that as a church. We've learned that as people. We've learned that as a Christian society, that our faith is more in circumstances than it is in Jesus. And that we would live by believing the things that we don't see, that Satan wants to use our eyes and show us circumstances. And, and the reality is God promised, and we got to speak the word. we got to talk the word. we got to speak what God said. My daughter did it day two. Daddy, you promised. 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 When are we going to get Dunkin' Donuts? And I think in the midst of all this stuff, we need to be, Daddy, you promised. Daddy, you promised. I'm believing. I can't see it yet, but I know it's coming. I can't see. I don't understand it, but I know you're doing something, God. That's the framework. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen, verse 3, were not made of things which are visible. The worlds are framed. Write this down. Your world is framed more by your internal picture than your external picture. What's happening on the inside of you more internally, what the framework of your life, the promises of God, the word of God. There's so many circumstances outside, but really our world, it says, is framed. The things we see were made from what we don't see. If I can hear your words, I can know your future. If I see your framework, what's on the inside of you? What are you talking? What are you saying? How are you believing? What's the, do you have a strong framework? We, in this hour, have to get a framework of the word of God, of the truth of God, not pulled into every direction and every fear uh, episode and every single thing, culture. We got to get grounded into the word of God. I'm talking, I'm preaching to myself today. That's why I'm so passionate. Because I'm, I'm easy, easily swayed and pulled. Come on, I'm a passionate person. And I, I'm, in, I'm like, ah, what's your birthday, baby? You know what I'm saying? Like, what? Oh, it's anniversary. No, it's birthday. You know, I, it's like I've got to get grounded. You've got to get grounded. We've got we've to get settled into the word of God. What's the framework on the inside? Right now I've got a crack going across one of my ceilings in my house. It's because someone took out a load-bearing wall and they didn't frame it up well enough. So they said, we could just put this one beam right here and it'll be fine. It didn't happen right away, but gradually it began to crack. I had a guy come in, he's like, oh, you're going to have to do this and do this and tie this into that and tie this into that. Here, here's what I would say to most of us. A lot of times the cracks in our life, they don't happen right away, but we begin to not get a framework or not get uh, load-bearing things on the inside of us. And so things begin to crack and kind of peel away and break apart. We got to dig down and go, okay, what's on the inside of me? Paul's saying that the world is framed by, by, by what we don't see. Come on, get some pictures on the inside of what God wants for you. So he's talking about these concepts of faith. And then chapter, verse 4 through 11, he gives some very practicals and reviews a bunch of people who lived by faith. In the midst of these people going through persecution, he starts talking about examples of faith. And I'm just going to run through them and give you some thoughts about faith. If you're not taking notes, you should be. I love you so much. It will be online, so you can go home and take notes, okay? There's the grace. By faith, Abel offered up a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. 
By faith, he offered up, offered up a more excellent sacrifice. What does that mean? He offered up the blood sacrifice. It says by revelation, he knew God wanted a blood sacrifice. This revelation came to, to Abel. He offered up a blood sacrifice. Cain offered the works of his hands. That's the law. Abel offered a sacrifice of blood. That's grace. That's Jesus. And it was a picture of faith versus works. And it says that in doing so, even though he's dead, it still speaks today. Literally, when you live by faith, it still speaks and outlives you. That if you will get into faith and begin to do some things looking to Jesus, that it will outlive you, that it will speak beyond you. Faith outlives your life. It will be in your children and your children's children. And, and no matter what circumstance you're facing, if you can speak faith and by revelation do what Jesus is asking, it will outlive you. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God you got to get this. No one walked with God for hundreds of years before Adam. No one had walked with God since Adam, so somehow Adam's great, 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 great grandkid decided by faith he could walk with God. Some of you need to get faith in your life, even though your parents didn't walk with God, even though your grandparents didn't walk with God, even though your friends didn't walk. Somehow you get faith in your life. You know, I can walk with God. I can please God. There's an audacious faith to go, you know what, I can walk with God. I'm pleasing to God. It says that he was actually pleasing to God. I want to prophesy to somebody today to say that you are pleasing to God and you can walk with God. That you can have faith to walk with God, even though they didn't walk with God. Even though you've never seen a godly marriage example, exemplified before, you can have a godly marriage. Even though you've never seen what it looks like to have a household of faith, you can have a household of faith. Even though you've never seen what it's like to do God's way, you can do that by faith. Enoch walked with God. By faith, verse 6, huge verse, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's a pretty big statement. And they're getting their goods taken. They're being thrown in prison. Pandemics are hitting. Viruses are breaking out. There's all, masks are being thrown around. You know, drugs are being, you know, produced. Everybody's divided and fighting. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It, it's, and then he says this, he goes, for those that come to him must believe that he is. And get this, there's two parts. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. What he's saying is this, this is so important. Faith allows God's goodness to frame my reality. I don't allow my reality to frame God's goodness. But you know if God's good, but you know if God's good, but you know if God's good, why? But you know if God's good, how come? But you know if God's good, how? No, 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 no. I allow God's goodness to frame my reality. That's what Paul is setting in their faith, getting to chapter 12 with discipline and going through hard times. He's letting God's goodness frame the reality of suffering and pain and hardship and what we face on this planet. God's goodness frames my reality. Nothing else frames my reality that literally without faith, it's impossible to please God because he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Listen to me. God cares. He is interested in and intervenes in your life for your good. He is interested in the details of your life. Keep seeking him. Keep being diligent. Daddy, you promised he's going to do it. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and saved the world. So, so by faith, revelation, he was divinely warned of things not seen, never seen rain, never heard of a boat, never seen water, none of that. And God speaks to him and says, hey, I want you to build this ark. Can I say something to you? The ark didn't save him. 
demonstrated faith did. The ark didn't save his family. A demonstrated faith in a man that didn't understand, that hadn't seen anything like rain before, heard God, believed God, and said, you know what? I'm going to prepare and do some things proactively because God's told me to. Simply, faith in God's promise is proactive. God's told some of you to begin to be proactive. You don't understand the, the move. You don't understand the job. You don't understand the breakup. You don't understand, you don't understand some things. But God said, I want you to begin to prepare. I know you don't understand. Noah never saw rain, and he built a boat. And God's saying, I know you don't get it, but you know what? I'm going to give you a marriage. But you need to begin to prepare yourself spiritually and mentally and emotionally and financially. You know what, I'm going I'm to give you a business, but you need to begin to get around businessmen and women and leaders and begin to prepare. God, God doesn't just, he's not a magic button. You've got to begin to prepare. Faith prepares. Y'all with me? Faith prepares. Faith is proactive. I'm preaching to you today. Y'all help me preach, okay? Don't leave me up here by myself. You, you, want a, you want a life of significance? You want a life of vision? Get around visionaries. Begin to prepare. Verse 8, Abraham obeyed and went out not knowing. Faith moves despite uncertainty. Some of you want, you want to know, I, I know me at times, we want to know every detail, have 100% figured out. Can I tell you, if you know every detail, that's not faith? But Satan moves with sight. But Abraham moved, went out not knowing. He didn't know. He knew 100% that God had promised a promised land, but he didn't know where it was. And so I just want to encourage some of you as you're going through things this year, as you're trying to figure out how to renavigate seasons and scenarios of your life, just keep moving, just start going, just begin to have faith and go, you know what, God, I don't have all the answers, but I got some principles in me. And can I tell you that's why, why it's so important to put some principles and values in you? It's not because we always live up to the values, it's because we know when we get far away from the values. And those values become an anchor to pull us back to the areas we know that we should be walking according to. Not that we always walk those values out. But we have some values. Sarah received strength. Verse 11, Sarah received strength by faith to conceive seed, and she judged God faithful. Faith, faith makes me strong. She received strength to conceive. Some of you need faith to conceive what God has for your life again. To conceive that you're worthy. To conceive that you can have a good marriage again. To conceive that you can fight again and have that business. To conceive that you can keep going. To conceive that your kids will come back to God. You need faith. To get, the word of God is a seed. Come on, Sarah received strength to conceive seed. You need strength to conceive the word of God. And to get it in your life and begin to get strong. Verse 13 through 15, he summarizes these people. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, listen to this, and truly if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Can I tell you, Satan will give you opportunity to go back to stuff that you never should? Faith is always future focused. Faith is always future-minded, future-focused. Satan will put stuff in front of your eyes. He'll put, a, he'll put a girl or a guy in front of your eyes. He'll put a job in front of your eyes. He'll put something else, a city in front of your eyes. He'll always put something in front of your eyes that you could have opportunity to return to. He'll make it look refreshing, rewarding, and it's a lie. And so as we, as we live by faith, come on, it's time to, to not look back. Some of you are so full of regret. And, and, you know, regret and grief go hand in hand. And if you can't get through your grief, you can't get through your regret. 
And so you've got to begin to let God process grief with you so you can get out of regret because regret looks back. But these people, it says that they kept looking forward to a homeland, to a heaven, to a country that wasn't on this earth. And I just think we got to stop living in regret. It's time to move on. And again, I'm just going to prophesy to you. It's time to move on from that person. It's time to move on from that friend group. It's time to move on from that situation. It's time to move on from that hurt or that pain. It's time to move on. Verse 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Listen to this. Of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God, this is Abraham. He's talking about Abraham. Before Jesus was ever on the scene, Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him from the dead, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Literally, Abraham looked and believed in the resurrection before it ever happened. He was promised a child. He was tested with the child. And he looked to the resurrection to have faith in the the promise. And and what I want to say to you is usually your test will seem contrary to God's truth. There's tests we go through that are totally contrary to what we believe God promised. And what we have to do if we're going to be people of faith is look past the test to a place of trust. You have to look past the test you're in to a place of trust. How do you do that? By looking unto resurrection. By believing that God can raise things from the dead. By believing that God is one that brings dead things to life. Abraham believed, looked past his test. And began to believe. Verse 20, I'm giving you a lot. Y'all with me still? Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Verse 21, Jacob blesses the sons of Joseph. There's There's this epic pinnacle of recording of these men's faith. And it was like, oh, they blessed their kids. Like, like we're talking about people being sawn in half and going through, you know, stopping the mouths of lions and all these big things. It says, oh, Jacob blessed his kids. Isaac blessed his kids. Like, you have to understand the power of blessing. Like, I don't think we get it. Like, the power of the Father's blessing. The power of the hand of the Father. And if you didn't have a father, get a spiritual father. Come see me. I'll lay hands on you and bless you. There's there's a, a fatherly blessing from heaven that is imparted to a generation. And when that hand of blessing is missing, identity is missing. This is, the hall, this is the hall of faith, and it records that there's blessing. Come on, listen to me. Faith believes in the blessing. It's tangible. I was, I was jogging or doing something yesterday. I wasn't jogging. That's a lie. I was doing something else. <laughs> I was doing something else. <laughs> I used to hear God when I'm jogging. So I just brought... I wasn't jogging. What am I? I'm lying. I was doing something. Else. I don't know what I was doing. But, but, but I, I looked around at humanity and I looked at people in the streets and I looked, and I looked at my life and I said, oh, God's, of God's people, we should walk blessed. People should see us and go, wow, they're blessed. They're above and not beneath. They're victors and not victims. They are, they are rising up. I mean, like, we, people should sense us as a blessed people and go, something's different. And that's coming from faith, believing in the blessing. Verse 22, he instructs Joseph about his bones. Don't bury me in Egypt. Verse 23, he talks about Moses hiding, or Moses' parents seeing something special in him and hiding him by faith. I would say this, faith sees and stewards God's purpose in others. Like, like if you want to walk in faith, don't just see God's purpose in your own life. Begin to look for others' purpose. Steward the purpose of God in others. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is important right now. Listen to this. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the p- passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. What it's saying is he wasn't worried about cancel culture. 
He wasn't scared to get canceled because he was going to stand up for God. He wasn't scared to make decisions and not just go along with the treasures of Egypt and sin. How? How? For he looked to the reward by faith. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. How? As seeing him who is invisible. It's saying Moses saw Jesus. Moses looked to Jesus by faith. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, and and he saw Jesus. That you and I, I wrote it this way. Faith chooses godly suffering over sinful success. Faith chooses godly suffering over sinful success. Satan will make us successful in so many ways. Come on, guys, but God, he makes you rich without adding sorrow. Come on, the blessings of the Lord make me rich without adding sorrow. And I, and I just think that we have to understand as God's people in this hour that we can endure and we can look away. It literally means when he says he looked to Jesus, he looked to the invisible, it means he looked away from everything else intently. We've got to get, we got to, and I got to, you got to, we got to. Like, I got to get our, our vision singular. Like, okay, God, what do you want in this hour? What's happening in the planet, Lord? We're your people, God. You've chosen us. What do you want from us? We, become, we behold what we become. We become what we behold. So whatever you're looking at, whatever you're, you're intently gazing at, what are we gazing at? Our sins, our mistakes, our failures, our hurts, our pains, our pleasures? Is it, is it or are we saying, okay, God, I need to endure by putting my eyes on Jesus? I just want to prophesy to you, get your eyes off that stuff. Get your eyes off the hurt. Get your eyes off what they did to you. Get your eyes off what they said. Get your eyes off the mistake or the failure. Come on, put your eyes on Jesus. Verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea by faith. I love this. I hope this helps somebody today. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as dry land. Listen to this, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Faith passes through the impossible. Come on, quit, quit, don't stop, keep going. Listen to me. The Red Sea was impossible. That was the point. Why? Because God wanted to drown the Egyptians who had no faith. So the thing you're facing that's impossible isn't even about you. It's about God wanting to drown the demonic influences chasing your life. The thing that you're up against that's impossible isn't about the situation that you're facing. It's about that you would, by faith, walk through the impossible, and all of a sudden insecurities drown, and doubt is drowned, and fear is drowned. And the demonic things that are chasing you, God wants to drown out of your life. That's why you're facing the impossible. The Red Sea's impossible without faith. That's the point. I believe in God to destroy some stuff as you pass through by faith. We are all facing horrific, hard circumstances. I'm on the phone daily with people that are suffering loss and pain and hurt and grief. We've all faced it. It's touched all of us. We pass through by faith, and God's going to continue to drown out some enemies that are trying to stop us. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down. Faith removes walls. It says they praised and they circled and they praised. Can I tell you that some of you built up so big of walls around your heart, you're like, nobody's going to get in here ever. Jericho was the first and most fortified city, so it would put fear in all the other cities. And the biggest wall you've built around your heart, God wants to bring down as you praise him and worship him. And he wants to get freedom in your life and bring down walls that you've kept people out from and you've kept yourself into. And God wants to do some miracles. Faith removes walls. And it comes through praise and worship and singing. All hail King Jesus. Brings down walls. 
Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish. Come on, listen to me. Faith has no favorites. The harlot Rahab. I love that they're still calling her the harlot. It's so awesome. Some of you are so ashamed of your reputation, but it's actually what God wants to use to actually recognize his resurrection in your life. Quit being ashamed of your reputation. Harlot the Rahab. You're like, what, what, isn't that the Rahab? Yeah, but God did something in her life. Isn't that the alcoholic? Yeah, but God did. Isn't that the one that, was, that cheated? Yeah, but God restored their marriage. Isn't that the one that, yeah, but God, don't be ashamed of your reputation. It's actually the thing that, will bring recognition to the resurrection power of God, man. I just, I'm just so thankful. Faith, listen, you're ashamed of your reputation because you think God plays favorites. He doesn't. Faith has no favorites. Verse 32 through 34, he broadens it. He says, and what more will I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire. I mean, think about who he's talking to, people that are being persecuted, people that are in pandemic, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Faith allows messed up people to do amazing things. Can I encourage you with something real quick? All those people that they listed cheated, lied, failed, had horrible stories and situations in their life, and all God records is their faith, not their failures. Come on, somebody. God is recording your faith movements, not your failures. He's recording the decisions of faith that you, yeah, we've got mistakes and failures, but in the epic moment of the hall of faith, the hall of fame, God says, here's what they did right. Here's their faith. Here's how they walked it out. I've got so much more to preach to you today. Man, y'all are, y'all are good today. Y'all are sucking it out of me today. Come on, y'all. I'm just, I'm fired up. This is what happens when I take a week off and go to Florida, guys. I love y'all. Somebody told me just to make all, both services one. We just go for the whole time. It says, verse 35 through 39, they were sawn in half. They lived in caves. They wandered the earth. The, earth, the Bible says the earth was not worthy to be called their home. Faith endures no matter what, guys. Faith is not an escape. It endures. It's an anchor. And then he shifts, and he goes to chapter 12. He says this, for God, having provided something better for us, talking about you and me, that they should not be made perfect apart from us, somehow he links everything they went through to our walk. Somehow he says that if you and I don't live by faith, if we don't decide to walk by faith, that the, the, the sacrifice and the pain and suffering they went through is not complete. That it's in vain. That there's somehow these witnesses of, of our forefathers that went before us and their life speaks to us as a witness that God is faithful, that Saturday came, that Dunkin' Donuts happens, that they stood in faith, they endured and they got to heaven. And that tells us that as we live it out, that we actually bring a wholeness to what they suffered and went through. 12 says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. You ever seen those stories of a family that leaves a, a bunch of inheritance and works hard and has sacrifices for their kids and then their kids squander it? It's a beautiful story when the kids take on the mantle and run with it and, and believe and, and go after it. And they make mistakes, but they, they stand up and they keep going. But when the kids just squander everything, somehow the completeness of the sacrifice the family made isn't complete. And God's saying that you and I, no matter what we're going through, we would run by faith. 
He tells us what to do. He kind of puts a a, a summary into action here. He says, let us lay aside the weights. They're like ankle weights in training. Let's lay aside the stuff that slows us down. I don't know what it is for you. And the sin that so easily ensnares us. The the sin there, listen to me, that's not some, some, that's unbelief. The whole context of Hebrews is believing in Jesus, that you would lay aside the sin of unbelief. Come on, I don't know about you, but I've had unbelief in the last year and a half in ways in my life. It says that we would lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us, unbelief, and let us run the race with endurance. Can I say to you, you're not in a walk. This is no Oprah Winfrey class. This isn't speed walking. You're in a race. Your race. And it speaks of training and competitive, tough, grinding and training for God, running your race, setting aside your weight, uncompromising truth and training. Verse three through six, he encourages them. They've been through some hell, but he's saying it's a sign that you're actually in the family. It's a sign of discipline. I'm trying to teach you that that's discipline. Verse seven, he talks about discipline, that you're in the family because you've been disciplined. Listen to me, not discipline like punishment, discipline like a coach. The context is running, training, grinding, discipline. Let me say it this way. Navy SEALs go through a lot more hell than mall cops. Nothing against mall cops. I love mall cops. We need them. Come on, Blart. I love Blart. But, but, But if you, the training that a Navy SEAL goes through is conducive to his assignment. So some of you are wondering why you're going through so much hell and so much, so much training and so much pain and so much anguish and so much, because you have an assignment that's essential to the kingdom of God. You're not just called to sit by the wayside. God's saying, I've got training for you. You're in the family. If I wasn't training, you wouldn't have an inheritance. No training, no trophy. I train my kids. I love my kids. He says, I know it's painful, but I don't want you to live a short-sighted life. He goes on in verse 11. It's profitable. It lets me be your coach, God says. Verse 12, in the light of being trained, take strength in it. Verse 13, come on, make your path straight so that others won't be dislocated. He's saying, be a leader, be a captain. Other people are looking at your life. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and defile all kinds of people. He's saying, get to the roots in your heart. Deal with heart issues. Don't just pull stuff from the surface. Don't just come to church and check it off. Let's dig in, repent, get deep down into your heart and let some things change in your life. Verse 17, he brings Esau up as an example. He says he wanted the blessing, but he didn't repent. He didn't want life change. I don't want the blessings of God without having my heart changed. And the biggest step in having a change of heart is agreeing with God about your situation. That's Repentance. Verse 18 through 27, I've got 43 seconds with you and a whole chapter to go. Verse 18 through 27, he gives this weird dramatic difference between law and grace. He says, for you've not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire. He's talking about Mount Sinai to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. This is so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. He said, we don't come to Mount Sinai. We're not coming to the law. We're not coming to regulations. We're not coming to a bunch of legalistic requirements that we can't handle, that we can't endure. We can't can't take the commandments. 
We don't come to that. He says, no, but you come to a holy mountain, to, to a different mountain. He says, it's a different way that you're called to live. Mount Zion, to the blood of Jesus, which is outside the camp. What do you mean outside the camp? That Jesus was sacrificed outside of the camp, outside of the tabernacle, outside of the city, and that the scapegoat would go outside in the Old Testament and take the sins. Jesus went outside the camp. He's saying that you and I would leave the, the, the confines of religion and the confines of regulation and the confines of Jerusalem and the confines of denomination and go outside to the blood of Jesus, to relationship with God. God, I need you. I don't, nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will fix me. I need a relationship. He exhorts them to live by grace and to have boldness, humility. In chapter 13. <laughs> you ever been to a football game that you, your team was losing and it's about five minutes left in the game and you're like, ah, there's no hope. And you get up and you walk out. Somehow you get to your car and you begin to hear roars from the stadium. You have to go look at ESPN later that night and see that your team won. Against all odds, your team won. What Paul is saying is, don't leave the stadium. That in Christ, there's always a comeback. And that I know it looks tough. I know it looks like peril. I know it looks like pandemic. I know your faith's being tested. But no matter if you're discouraged or you think it's not worth it, don't leave the stadium. He begins to tell them, don't leave, don't walk out, don't quit on Christ. Talks about brotherly love in verse 1 through 6. He talks about following Christ and following people that follow Christ. Come on, follow the right people. Verse 9, I love this one. It says, do not be carried away with various strange doctrines, for it's good of heart to be established in grace. He's saying, get stable in your doctrine. There's a call to stability in the church right now. There's all kinds of wacky teachings going on everywhere. Like, get stable. Get steady. Focus on the majors. Verse 10, he says, we have an altar, a heavenly altar. Verse 11, it's outside the camp. We go to Jesus outside the camp, like I said. We need a, a framework of grace and faith. And the entire message to the Hebrews is saying, leave the law and get a framework of faith. Leave dead religion and come to Jesus. Leave ceremonies and, and formalities and going to church because it's what you do in culture and get on your faces and seek Jesus and get at the altar and run your race and believe God and get into the word and, and believe and look past all that to the anchor, which is Christ. He says, do good and share. Verse 17, I love this one. Obey those who rule over you. We don't like that word. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. He's talking about spiritual leadership. Saying you should have a connect group leader. You should have a pastor. He's saying, for, for, and don't make it hard on me to be your overseer. It would be unprofitable for you because I watch out for your soul or your, your pastors and your shepherds and leaders here in this house, spiritual leaders. Everyone's under someone's leadership. And if you're not, then you're exposed. And it says, do so because I'll have to give account. What that means is that one day I'll go to heaven and they're going to ask me. A lot of people say, oh, it means that the pastor is going to have to give account for how well I shepherded you. That's not the context. The context is I'm going to have to give an account for who you are. So when you stand before God, they're going to bring me out there as well. And that God's going to say, where did you go to church? And you're going to say Transformation Church. And they're going to look at Pat and say, Pastor, do you know them? I've never met them. I don't know what team they're on. No, I don't, I don't think they ever gave. No, I don't, I don't know if they ever went on a trip. I've got to give an account. For how you engaged in the kingdom of God. And the Bible says, don't make that hard for me to do. 
Can I just give you the word of God today? I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of fluff, man. Paul, Paul says, let me encourage you. And he, he says, pray for me. He says, pray for us. I says, pray for me. Pray for us in this hour. Pray for each other. He says, you have the blood of an everlasting covenant, which makes you perfect and complete and able to do every good work. That the hope you have, I'm ending right now. The hope you have is greater than a hope of yesterday or a hope for tomorrow. It's an eternal hope. And it's an anchor that sets you in heaven. And no matter what we're facing, we can have a framework of faith and we can pass through any type of hell to see God's kingdom come in our life. I want to encourage you today for maybe those that want to give up or ready to leave the stadium. Father, I thank you for your church. I I thank you for your word that it's real, it's true. I thank you for the book of Hebrews. It's so relevant for this hour. We need each other, Lord. We don't want to isolate or be be exposed. We, 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 need, we need to all the more meet together and encourage and bless and strengthen one another. Even when persecution and pain and, and peril hits, Lord, we are a people of faith. Lord, our reality is framed by your goodness today. We know that you've promised some things. And Lord, we know that in the time frame before we see you again face to face, while we're on this planet, there's some broken things, there's some training, there's some discipline, there's some things we're running through and walking through. But oh God, we'd stay in faith. We wouldn't give up. We wouldn't treat this as a walk or a stroll. We would run our race. Lord, let us run our race in this hour as your people. Let us not let our forefathers and the testimony that they received be incomplete because we don't run. Let this house run. Let these families run. Let our kids run, Lord. And I pray that we would not leave the stadium, Lord, because we know there's a comeback in you. No one looking around today just for a second. Maybe you're in here and you say, you know what? I don't even know Jesus. I've been hoping in everything else, but I need, I need God in my life. I'm ready to actually make him the Lord of my life. I'm ready to surrender. I know I'm up here all crazy, passionate, sweating, screaming, and all that, but God's here for you. God loves you. And maybe you, maybe you haven't come to Jesus because you've been worried about your reputation. Or you've just been feeling like, you know what, I don't think he cares about my life. Can I tell you that he wants to intervene in your life this morning? No one looking around, the Bible says this, if you would just give your life to Jesus, you get a fresh start in God. Just a fresh start. That's it. No, you don't have to fix yourself. You just got to say, Jesus, I believe you're God and I surrender. No one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're here in this place today and say, I need Jesus. I need a fresh start. I'm ready to surrender. Would you put your hand up to me? Just say, pray for me, Pastor. I need the Lord. Anybody at all in this place? Awesome. Awesome. Come on. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our faith today. Every single person in this room that needs a next step in you, Lord, that they would take it. I hope they hear my heart today, God. I hope they hear your heart and receive from you out of the book of Hebrews today. Everybody watching online, Lord, I pray if they need a fresh start, they would let us know. Just type in fresh start. Lord, we pray for everybody online right now. If you're watching online, everybody that's going to watch later on this, this afternoon or later this week, I pray your word would penetrate their life and give them a framework of your goodness, a framework of faith, God, that they would not quit, that they would not check out, they would not walk away. Lord, I thank you for your church in this hour, that this would be our finest hour. We give you all the glory and praise and honor in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast.
If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.